0: We invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning ephesians chapter 5 in preparing for uh, the study of the word and the preaching of the word today uh, I was anticipating that we would be, actually be at the next section which is on husbands loving your wives instead the the Lord uh, I think had it worked out that, that it would be that wives ought to submit to their husbands and ladies, there's no greater thing that God could 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 give to you, I think, than to help you to see the importance of God's position for you. And uh, we'll talk about that because, you know, in our society, they want us to think that 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 you are missing out when you submit to your husband. Our society wants you to feel shackled and oppressed. It wants you to think of submission to your husband a lot like people used to think about slavery. You know, um, you are a victim, you know, and in the past slavery, everyone just kind of assumed that was the way to go and, and eventually we were liberated from that idea and we finally got rid of slavery rightly so. And the same thing ought to be true about submitting to your husband. That ladies. You are actually shackled to that authority, and they want you to think, you know, I I know you're supposed to submit to your husband, but come on. For you, it's hard because you you ended up with the real loser, you know. So so God will understand if you don't submit. I don't know, I'm sure why I saw a lot of head nodding there, ladies, but. Um, you know, or I can't do my job as a wife and a mother because you know I have a terrible husband. And if I had a better husband, well, then I could be a better wife. He, he never encourages me. He, he only finds my fault. He only blames me. And part of the reason that we've actually bought into the lie of our society is because we forgot the beautiful order that God has set up for us in the family. Someone illustrated it this way. When you first moved into your house, you you loved it. You spent several hours making it better and you wanted to have people over so that they could enjoy it with you. But now, you know, several years have passed and maybe several decades and your house is kind of getting a little boring. There are lots of other houses that you've seen and they look a lot better and you kind of wish you had that house. But then someone comes along and they come into your house And they look around for a while and they just absolutely love it. They love the coved ceilings. And they love the colors that you have on the wall. They love the layout of the kitchen, the open floor plan. They love the quiet neighborhood. And it's not until then that you remember afresh what a great house you do have. And that you know some of these other houses may have some other problems and they may not be the best thing for you. And that picture can help us to think properly about our marriage. Ladies, you once loved your marriage and your husband so much so that you couldn't stop thinking about making your marriage better. You couldn't stop talking about it. You wanted to invite everyone in to see what a great relationship you had. But over the years, you know, let's be honest, he looks a little different than when you married him, doesn't he? And He acts a lot different. The marriage has become a little stale. And it's not until someone comes along and shows you the beauty of the marriage relationship, the covenant that you've made before them, that, that your husband, and before God, that it's actually a very beautiful thing. And I want to be that person today that comes along and shows you how beautiful your marriage really is. I want to show you from the Scripture why your marriage is such a beautiful picture of the relationship between Christ and his church so let's read this short section Ephesians 5:22 through 24 and then we'll see if we can understand what God is teaching us today Ephesians 5 verse 22 This is the word of God Wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Wives, when you model your responsibility, you actually are modeling the beautiful picture of Christ and His church. Let's begin with the command in verse 22. This is the responsibility that you have. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, if you, if you have a New American Standard, the words be subject are in italics. Now, what does that tell us? Well, if you know much about the New American Standard and how it translates it, it gives you uh, words in italics to help clarify what it's saying. Because actually, those words were not in the Greek language. So instead, it is wives to your own husbands. That's what it would literally read from the Greek. But, at, but the reason they supply those words is because those words come from verse 21. Look at verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, do this to husbands. That's the idea. And then later on, he's going to talk about children and then about slaves. So be subject to your own husbands. Um, In order to see the responsibilities that wives have to their husbands, we need to first look at verse 21 more closely, because this is really where the command comes from. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This command, as I mentioned last week, is the third of three results of being filled with the Spirit. If we're going to be controlled by the Spirit, it's going to result in, number one, Christians singing. The Christians are just going to overflow with love for God and they're going to sing. Number two, they're going to be thankful in everything. And then number three here in verse 21, they are going to be subject to one another. Those are the three results of being Spirit-filled. So when we look at verse 21, we might think, well, subject to one another. So you are subject to me and I am subject to you. We submit to each other. That's what it sounds like. But if that were the case, then we would have to say that the husband is responsible to submit to the wife, which is not stated at all in verses 25 through 33. We'll get there next week. But but what I want you to understand is that the Scriptures never call the husband to submit to his wife. So what people do with verse 21 when they understand it that way is that it's a mutual submission is they say it means loving one another. So here's how we submit to one another. We love one another. But that's actually not what I think Paul is saying. Let me give you four reasons why God is not calling for mutual submission in this verse. This is drawn from theologian Wayne Grudem. Number one, the verb, be subject or submit yourself, is used 30 other times in the New Testament. In the New Testament. And every other time it always means submit yourself to an authority. Someone who has been placed as an authority over you. So, here are some ways in which it's used. Demons are to submit to disciples. Citizens, Romans 13, are, sub, are to submit to the government. The universe is to submit to Christ. Unseen spiritual powers are supposed to be subject to Christ. Christ is to, to submit himself to the Father. Church members to church leaders, wives to husbands, church to Christ, servants to masters, Christians to God. Okay, So those are all the uses of the word be subject or the words be subject. Every time it has to do with an authority over that person. Number two, the second reason why I think this is not mutual submission is because husbands are never told to be subject to their own wives. No time would we ever say that parents are supposed to submit to their children right we would never say that and and in fact what we're going to see later on is that that's the next place that Paul is going to go Um, no place is is God the Father ever submitting to God the Son it's always the other way around God the Son submits to God the Father okay so this is not a reciprocal submission or um, a, a mutual submission number three the words, one another, you see that in verse 21, be subject to one another, is, those words are not always reciprocal. You know, when we think of one another, we think of, you know, love one another. So you love me and I love you. And that's true. We ought to do that. But those are not always used in that way. For example, in Revelation 6, 4, it talks about slaying one another, killing one another. Well, does that mean that we kill each other at the exact same time or that these people are Slaying one another. Are they killing each other at the exact same time? No, it means that they are slaying one person to another. So one person is killing the other person. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens. Okay, so do I pass all my burdens over to someone else and they pass all all theirs over to me? No, we're bearing other people's burdens even if we don't have any. See, it's it's bearing uh, another person's burden. That's the idea. 1 Corinthians eleven, talking about the Lord's Supper, says, wait for one another. Okay, before we have the Lord's Supper, we need to wait for one another. So does that mean that every single person is waiting for everybody at exactly the same time? No, it means wait one person for another. And that's what I would suggest to you that verse twenty one means. Be subject one person to another. And that leads us to the fourth reason that this mean this does not mean mutual submission, and that is that this next section, verses 22 through 6 9, 522 to 6-9, are all an explanation of 521. So, here's how it, how it works. 521, be subject one to another. If you're filled with the Spirit, be subject one to another. If you have a relationship where there's an authority over you, then submit yourself in that situation. And here's an example. Wives, do that to husbands. Submit yourself. Then, chapter 6, verse 1, children, do that to parents. And then, six uh, five slaves, do that to masters, or employees, do that to employers. That's the idea. So, what exactly does this mean, to submit ourselves? Ladies, what does it mean to submit yourself to your husband? Look at verse 24, because I want you to see that the command is repeated there. As the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be, to their husbands in everything. So, verse 21 says, be subject to one another. Verse 24 repeats that idea. Be subject to one another. Be subject to your husband in this case. Then notice how it's referred to in verse 1 of chapter 6. Instead of children, be subject to your parents, Paul uses a synonym for being subject. And that is, obey your parents. And then verse 5 Slaves, instead of be subject to one another, he says, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. So the way that we submit is by submitting to our masters, by obeying our masters, being obedient to. So that's how being subject is expressed in the rest of the passage. And I think that's actually a helpful way of thinking about submission. And You may be thinking, well, that's fine. I'm happy to submit to my husband as long as I agree with him. But I want you to understand this morning that when you agree with your husband, that technically is not submitting. The word English dictionary defines submission as yielding oneself to the will of another. Yielding oneself to the contrary will of another. So, when you do something because you and your husband correspond in thinking then that technically is just agreement. That's not submission. Submission is yielding yourself to the contrary will of another. That is, it comes into play when you disagree with your husband to his opposing idea. Okay, so that's what it means to submit. It means to yield up your contrary view to the will of your husband. Now notice, I want you to understand, ladies, that this is not... This is not universal, that you have to submit to every husband. Look at verse 22. Wives, be subject to what kind of husbands? Okay, what, Which husband? Just to your own. Okay, Submit to your own husbands. Ladies, God has not called you to submit to all men, to all husbands, or even one other husband. God has called you to submit to your own husband. Okay, So this is where it comes into play. Let me be clear ladies that there will be other men who have authority over you you know like Hebrews 13:17 says that there are leaders in the church that you ought to submit to Romans 13 talks about the government that you are to submit to Ephesians 6 talks about your boss being a person that you submit to but don't fool your conscience into thinking that you have to submit to every single husband in the church that his will has to be my will. I have to follow his will no only your husband this is your own husband and uh, regarding, you know, if you do have other men that you have to submit to because of government or work relationships or whatever, recognize that you don't submit to those men to the same degree that you submit to your own husband. Okay, but that your husband is the person to whom you submit to the greatest degree. That is the the human that you submit to the to the greatest degree. Now, let me give you three reasons from the. For this command. Why would Paul command this uh, for wives to do? Turn back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Because one of the arguments against women submitting to men is that submission is really a result of the fall, that is, the first sin that was committed. When the first sin came about, then women had to start submitting to their husbands. But actually, this was part of God's created order when things were still as they should have been. Holy, righteous before God. So let me show you that before the fall. By the way, the fall happens beginning in chapter 3, verse 1 of Genesis. So that's why I'm showing you Genesis chapter 2. First proofs from Genesis chapter 2. The first proof comes in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And it's not till later that verse 18 and following that God creates a woman, a, a helper suitable for him. So we know that that man is above the woman in a functional way because of the created order, because he was created first. Second. Eve was created to be Adam's helper. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And the Hebrew word that is translated here as helper means something very, simply, very simple, and that is to help him. Your job, ladies, is to help your husband. Uh, further, we have proof from Genesis 2 because Adam named Eve. You know, we, we name things that we own, right? You don't name someone else's dog. No one else names your dog. When you have a dog, you name it yourself. You name your own children, right? There's a sense of ownership in a way, right? And that's what God gave to Adam for the animals on the earth. When he gave him the permission to name the animals, it showed that Adam was, had authority over those animals. Well, in a similar way, Adam have, had the ability, the authority, to name his own wife, which showed that he had Authority over her. So male headship was in place before the fall of Adam into sin. And that leads us to Genesis 3, verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 16. After they had sinned, Adam and Eve both sinned. Notice the curse that comes upon woman, the woman, because of her sin. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth, and pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now we look at that last phrase there, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. It sounds like part of the curse is that she's going to love him more, right? That he, she's going to have this, this really loving feeling towards her husband. Is that the case always, ladies? probably not, right? So that's not the idea here. In fact, if you look at chapter 4 verse 8 or 7, you see the same idea. Chapter 4 verse 7. Notice the two words that were in 3:16. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Look at 4:7. Talk God talking to Cain after he had killed Abel, if you do well or when he was thinking about if you do well will not your countenance be lifted up, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and notice its desire is for you, but you must master it. Those two words, desire and rule in verse sixteen of chapter three are only used in conjunction one other time in the entire Bible, and that 's right there in chapter four, verse seven and if we understand four seven we'll understand three sixteen Cain. The desire of the sin is to rule over you. That's what it desires, to have its way with you. So look back at chapter 3, verse 16 now. Yet your desire will be for your husband. That is, it will be to usurp his authority. It will be to rule over him. But he will rule over you. He will have mastery. See, in the fall, in the curse, it didn't change uh, the the created order. It didn't change what God wanted. Instead, it actually made it more difficult. Did you know? Did you notice how women are cursed one in re- relationship to their their body, how they're going to to bear children? Apparently, their bodies are changed in such a way that makes childbearing more difficult. And then the second is the way that they're related to their husband. That before, they had this loving relationship and they enjoyed submitting to their husband. Now, they have this desire within them that makes them want to usurp His authority. And yet God says, still, He's going to have the authority over you. Imagine, ladies, what it would have been like for Eve to so naturally enjoy the leadership of Adam. It would be like Christ's relationship to God the Father. That there was no tension. Both God the Father and God the Son understood their place and happily worked together in that loving relationship. So now turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. Submitting to your husband is actually a good thing, ladies. It is actually a good thing because that's the way that God designed it to work. So what is Paul saying in 5.23? Wives, be subject to your own husband. Verse 22, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now, what does head mean here? Does it just mean source? You know, that the husband is the source of the wife in some way? Or does it mean that he is her authority? Sometimes the word uh, can refer to a physical head. Other times it refers to actual authority. But Just as Christ is the head of the church. Well, does that mean that Christ is just the source of the church? Or does it mean that Christ is the authority of the church? And I would suggest to you that it means that Christ is the the authority. Ladies, if you don't think that that's the right way to think about your husband as your authority, as as your head, then perhaps motivation from 1 Corinthians 3 would help you. There, Paul says that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now think about this for a minute with me. If God is the head of Christ, if God is the authority over Christ, does that make Christ any less God than God the Father? And if you understand what the Scriptures teach, you understand that both God the Father and God the Son, Christ, are both God. They are one in essence, but different in function. They have different functions, and yet Christ recognizes that His head is God, and He's happy to submit Himself to God. And The same is true with the husband and wife. Wives, it doesn't make your husband any better of a person that He is your head, your authority. You are the same in essence before God. That is, you have equal quality before God. When God looks at you, He doesn't say, wow, you're you're terrible in comparison to men. That, it's not how God looks at you. In fact, He offers justification to all who will call on His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that doesn't make you a lesser person, but it still does mean that there's a functional difference. It's like when a... Um, let's say some sort of political figure, maybe even the president, is driving down the street. Let's say after he's out of office, he's driving down the street and he's speeding. And he gets pulled over by a police officer. And the police officer gives him a ticket. Now, the the police officer in that case actually has authority to give the president a ticket, doesn't he? Does that make the police officer a better person than the President of the United States? Absolutely not, doesn't it? We could think about it like citizenship. They have the same citizenship. One has different functioning authority in that case. Obviously, the president has other authority, especially when he's in office. So so we can see from the created order that male headship is a part of God's created order. Number two, second reason to obey this command comes in verse 21. Ladies, Christ is your ultimate master. Christ is your ultimate authority. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. And then verse 24. But just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives are to be to their husbands. Christ is your ultimate master. This is how you are to love your husband. Look at at the end of verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here's how you submit to your husband. Do it as if Christ were your husband. As if Christ were your head. Do it as you would to the Lord. Remember who your ultimate authority is. So that when you yield your contrary views to the will of your husband, you're actually yielding to Christ. You're actually submitting to Christ. And that's a good thing. Remember that Christ is your ultimate master. The third reason that you can and should submit is because your submission, ladies, is a picture of the church's submission to Christ. Look at the end of verse 23 again. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Marriage is not the ultimate reality. Marriage, I hope you recognize, is only temporary. Not in that, okay, we can just pick who we want for our spouse and then we can just lay that person aside and go and get another person. No, that's not the idea when I say temporary. I mean, it's only for this lifetime. Jesus said that there will not be marriage in heaven. There will not be marriage in heaven. But it will be, it will be like the angels, neither given in marriage or married. And instead, our marriage in this lifetime points to something greater. And particularly, God set up the marriage covenant relationship in Genesis 2 in order to portray something very beautiful. And that is the relationship between Christ and His church. What do we do with this phrase here at the end of verse 23? As He Himself being the Savior of the body. Okay, so we're trying to make a comparison. As Christ is the head of the church, so is the husband the head of the wife. And then it says at the end of verse 23, he himself being the Savior of the body. So are we supposed to carry this uh, idea over into the husband? Is, I mean, am I the Savior of my wife? And she's nodding, no, I'm not. Okay, small s, I'm not the Savior of my wife. Um, instead... Uh, maybe it just means that that we're just talking about Christ here. That, you know, Christ is the head of the church and He happens to be its authority as well. He is the Savior. He happens to be the Savior of the church as well. Well, even though we wouldn't say that we are the Savior of our wives, and with a capital S, obviously, uh, I think in a limited sense we have some protection responsibility. Look down to verse 29. Man, we'll we'll, uh, we'll look at this next week in more detail. But verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So here's the idea. Husbands, you ought to love your wives, verse 28, just as you love your own bodies. And how do you love your bodies? Well, you nourish and cherish it. So, the point that Paul's making is you ought to nourish and cherish your wife. You ought to provide for and protect your wife. So in some sense, we are like Christ in that He not only is the head, the authority of His church, but He also is its protector, its Savior. And husbands, in the same way, that's how we ought to be as well, that we ought to be in some limited sense, obviously, that we protect and provide for our wives. So the command, ladies, be subject to your own husbands. The reasons for them is because it is set up in the created order and because you are actually submitting to Christ when you're submitting to your husband. And, and then also your submission is a picture of Christ and the church. Now how much ought you to submit to your husband? How much ought you to subject yourself to your husband? Look at verse 24. It shows us the extent of the command. So also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Okay, so ladies, not, there, there's nothing in here that says only if your husband's a believer. You know, if you have an unbelieving spouse, then you're free to go. Or, you know, only if your husband is an, is a competent leader. If he's a if he's a really good leader, then you should you ought to submit to him and everything. It doesn't say anything about the the wife's right to have an adequate leader for her husband. Instead, it says yield your contrary view to the will of your husband in everything. Now, clearly we know from the rest of Scripture that God is not calling for slavish obedience. God is not asking you to yield your contrary views of righteousness to the authority of your husband. Okay, so for example, if he says, I want you to lie for me. I told my mom... That I had work to do on Saturday. That's why I couldn't come and celebrate Mother's Day with her. So don't tell her that I actually was golfing all day. Okay, so if your husband tells you to do that, that actually would be removing you from a place of submitting to Christ. Okay, so God's not saying submit to me while submitting to your husband, even if he tells you to do something evil. Because when you when He tells you to do something evil, you're actually not submitting to Christ anymore. Do you see? So you ultimately need to be submitting to Christ. He's your ultimate authority, right? And ladies, you may want to park on the exception to the rule. But I'm guessing that in your household, your contrary views usually do not include... Uh, something about him telling you to do something evil. Okay, If you are a believing woman and your husband is a believing man, then I'm guessing he's not on a regular basis telling you to do something evil. And so when it comes to submission, don't take that rule and say, well, except if Okay, recognize the main command there, that that there is a responsibility to Submit your contrary will, contrary view to the will of your husband. In closing, let me begin with a warning to husbands because I have never seen you so happy to be in church. I'm not sure why you have such a big grin on your face the whole time. Because, And so for you husbands, you better be here next week. Ladies, encourage your husband to be here next week because we as husbands are going to get clobbered by the text. But until then, husbands, let me encourage you, Okay, before we actually get there and see it in the text, I want to encourage you, don't lord your headship over your wife. You maybe walk away from here and say, yes, 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 submit to me. But don't use your authority over your wife as a weapon. I would encourage you men, not to say things like this to your wife. Women or, or wife, your place is not to decide, your place is to submit. That is not helpful within a marriage relationship. Now, I'm not sure why some of you men were taking notes at that time. Plan on using that uh, later. Husbands, your wife is not a means to an end. She didn't marry you so that you could reach a state of self fulfillment. She ought to be the object of your love. And we'll see this very clearly next week in the text. Wise, if you have a husband who is domineering and who uses his authority as a means to clobber you over the head with it, you know, submit to me, and, and constantly brings these verses up to your attention, posts them all over the house and whatever, I would suggest to you that you would do something that Dr. Ola suggested, and that is duck so that God can hit your husband. Hey, that's what submission is all about, ladies. Just getting out of the way so that God can hit your husband. Uh, God is gracious. And, uh, and even if you have a domineering husband, He can still use your loving submission to Him in a way that will actually reach Him, in a way that will honor God. Ladies, submitting is for your good. The words that that I have said multiple times today and that you may hear at other times in your life, life the words wives submit, they may sound like fingernails on a chalkboard to you and certainly to our culture. But you as a Christian woman ought to hear those words and when you hear them, hear a beautiful melody because you know that this is part of God's original design and that god's design of your marriage for you to be in that functional different functionally different relationship that that is actually pointing to something greater something bigger don't buy into the lie of satan that's fed you that that satan feeds you through our society that you're being duped you know that you're being shackled if you see and you think that your husband's authority is actually oppressive to you, ladies, I would encourage you to read this afternoon Proverbs 31. Read about this woman who has submitted herself to the authority of her husband and is working to be his helper. And tell me after reading Proverbs 31 if you get any sense that she feels shackled. She is doing all sorts of of, of great things for her husband and for her family, and she's loving it. So don't see your husband's authority as chains. Ladies, this is what God has ordained and what God loves. This is designed for your good. And even if all the women in the world to, were to usurp their, their husband's authority, You ought to want to recognize and still be committed to obeying God by obeying Christ and recognize that, you know what? They may not see what God wants for me in my marriage. They may pull me and push me to do other things other than what God has said in the Scriptures with regard to my marriage. But I'm, you know, let let all men be liars, but God is truth. And I'm going to follow Him. If He's told me that I need to give up my contrary view to the will of my husband, I'm going to do it. Because I submit myself to Christ. The highest motivation, ladies, that I can give you is the same motivation that the Holy Spirit gives you. Christian wives, this is the most important part, of what I'm going to say today. Christian wives who submit to their husbands are submitting to Christ. In other words, when you submit to your husband, you are submitting to Christ. And I could say that in the reverse way as well. If you are not yielding your contrary view to the will of your husband then you are not yielding your contrary view to the will of Christ. You are not submitting to Christ. Do you you see how those are connected? Here's what Christ has said. Be subject to your husband. And you're saying, well, I don't agree with that, so I'm not going to do it. I'll obey you over here, Christ. I'll be happy to do all these things that I agree with you on those things. But when it comes to submitting to my husband, I don't agree with you on that, so I'm not going to do it. Do you see that you're actually not submitting to Christ if you're not submitting to your husband. Because your contrary will is more important, your contrary view is more important than Christ's. You can't submit to Christ without submitting to your husband if you are married. So, some of you ladies may struggle with being too passive. You know, not contributing to any decisions and maybe... You have taken this to an extreme and just said, you know what, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to make him make the decisions for everything. I'm not going to give him my views. And sadly, if you're that passive, then you've probably followed him into doing evil as well. Okay, And that's not what God is calling for here. He's not calling you to be completely quiet, never contribute to anything, never generate your own ideas. Again, read Proverbs 31 and look at how... Uh, how much ingenuity she has, how much ambition she has, and how much she's she's initiating work and conversation and so on. So that's not what submitting means. Some of you are that way. Very passive. Too passive. And you're just allowing your husband to just do everything. But I would imagine that most of you ladies are like most of the ladies in the world. And that is that you struggle with what you have been cursed with. And that is your desire to usurp your husband's authority. You are in competition with your husband, trying to to show who's boss in the house. But the Bible calls you to avoid both of those. Being too passive, not contributing to anything to the marriage. Or being too authoritarian, taking over, usurping the authority of your husband. And the Bible calls you to avoid both of those Extreme. Instead, in the middle here, what God calls you to do is to be active, to be joyful, intelligent, submitting yourself to your husband's authority. Again, remember the picture within the, within the Godhead, between God the Father and God the Son. God was in a position, a functional, uh, a functional place below the Father's authority, wasn't He? And He still is, by the way. And yet, He submits His contrary views to the will of His Father. Remember when He didn't want to go to the cross? What did He do? Not my will. Not my contrary view. I'm going to step out here. God, I agree with You on everything, Father. Except for this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to, to feel the shame. I don't want to have my Your back turned on me. Instead, He happily submits to His Father's authority. And this is what it ought to look like within within your marriage relationship, happily submitting to the functional authority that God has placed over you. Because marriage is a picture, bring the picture into focus. One of the ways that we display in the relationship of Christ and His church is by living orderly in our marriage. And the more, ladies, that you love your husband and obey him, more clearly, the more clearly you reflect the relationship that there ought to be within the church to Christ. So when you submit to your husband in a loving, biblical way, then you actually serve as an example to our church and other churches of how we as a church ought to lovingly submit to Christ. Do you realize that as a church, we have contrary views over here? And Christ is telling us to do certain things, and we want to be out here, but you can actually serve as a model, ladies, of what you ought to look what the church ought to look like. that you know, we ought to submit ourselves to Christ and do it happily and joyfully. And when we see you do that to your husband, you actually display what ought to be happening in the church, our love and submission to Christ. and submitting to your husband you highlight the value and the beauty of the relationship of Christ's church with Christ by showing that you are voluntarily, happily, joyfully giving up your contrary view to the will of your husband whom God has placed in authority over you. Now, let me just be clear that no one ever said it was going to be easy. But you know from experience that the best things in life Come to those who work hard for them, right? When the tempests of difficulty and opposition rage, remember that covenant that you made to your spouse, to your husband. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I'm going to be committed to this man for the rest of my life. Nothing will give you a greater advantage, ladies, There's nothing better that I can tell you on a day like today than to submit to your husband because it's what God has designed for you. It's part of His ordained structure. And you can do it in reverence to Christ. And you can do it happily and joyfully. And what a great display you would be. What a great example you would be for other ladies in our church and for our church as a whole. Let's pray. Father, You know the hearts of all of us in here. You know the temptations that are pulling us. As men, we want to highlight things like this. As women, we want to, they, they perhaps want to minimize these responsibilities. And I just pray that You would help us to see rightly Your revealed Word to us. And to submit ourselves to Your authority and to your uh, the structure that You have set up before we had sinned. And we pray that as a result, that marriages would be strengthened and that our church would be strengthened. Because we know that, that part of the, the fabric of our church is, is families and it's godly families. Ones who are seeking to submit themselves to you. Lord, I don't know how exactly this is going to play out in day to day life in each of these ladies' situation. But I know that you oppose the proud and you give grace to the humble. Lord, help these ladies to recognize their position before you and to happily fall into line and do what you have commanded for them. And as husbands may we help. And, and, and showing our love to them not being domineering. I pray that Your Word would be ever so clear to us even next week as we study it so that we understand our rightful position within the marriage relationship and that we don't use our authority as a weapon against our wives, but instead lovingly lead them in service to them. Lord, we're so thankful for how Jesus submitted Himself to You. And we're so thankful for how He gave His life for the sake of His church. And we want to honor You today by obeying You. So help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name.